So it's my pleasure to introduce our speaker tonight. The topic, as you can see right up here, is how to live the single life and meet Mr. and Mrs. Wright, living the single life uh, according to God's will. So we're very fortunate to have Dr. Soroki. She is um, a family doctor at Culture of Life Family Services. And if you need a primary care physician, uh, she and Dr. Delgado are fantastic doctors in supporting uh, the Culture of Life mission. So uh, she is one of six kids, and she is the sister of Father Anthony Soroki, who's in the house. So raise your hand. She wanted me to say that. Father Anthony. <laughs> and she, she also has another brother um, who is in the seminary as well. So we're very, yeah, blessed and she loves to hike. I wanted to know something special about her. So please help me welcome Dr. Karen Soroki. So I want to open with the sign of the cross in an Our Father. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. When I told my brother, Father Anthony, that I was giving a theology on tap talk entitled How to Live the Single Life and Meet Mr. Slash Ms. Wright, he laughed and said, well, you got the first part nailed down. And he didn't mean that as a compliment either. And when I told my mom, she said, you're not qualified to give the second part of the talk. You haven't met Mr. Wright yet. And when I was deciding on a title for the talk, I texted some family members and friends, and my little sister Liz left me a voicemail message saying, I think the title of your talk should be, does Mr. or Ms. Wright exist? Because he does exist, but maybe not in the way you envisioned him. And the real Mr. Wright, well, that's God, and he's always there for you. So I want to begin my talk with two similar questions, and I'd like you to write down the answer, if you don't mind. Most of you have a little card and a pen. The questions are, what do you want more than anything else in the whole world? What is the deepest longing of your heart? What do you want more than anything else in the whole world? What is the deepest longing of your heart? Some of you may be thinking, I want to be happy. Indeed, I think all of us want to be happy. For others, you desire to be loved. And there's a universal desire to experience love and to love in return. And a few of you may be thinking, I want to become a saint and to live the will of God. Well, I have good news. You were created for happiness, and not just in heaven, but on earth too. Jesus said to his disciples, these things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. And we were created out of love and for love. Yet often, when we're single, there's a sense that we're not as happy as we could be 
and that we're missing out on the deepest experience of love. That sense that something is missing is what I would call the ache of singlehood. Where does the ache of singlehood come from? Part of it comes from the fact that we are meant for communion, to become united with another person. In the catechism we read, man and woman were made for each other, not that God left them half-made and incomplete. He created them to be a communion of persons in which each can be a helpmate to the other, for they are equal in persons and complementary as masculine and feminine. And blessed JP too says, alone man does not completely realize the essence of being a person. He realizes it only by existing with someone and even more deeply and completely by existing for someone. There is a natural, healthy desire to be, want to become one with another person and through marital union and to bring forth children. But part of the ache of singlehood comes from society. Society has lifted up marriage to be a greater good and I think has created a stigma against singlehood. And I'm not talking about the single person who wants to be a bachelor for the rest of his life. I'm talking about the single person who is single because that's what God desires of them for a period of time. How many times have you gone home to see your parents or your grandparents and the first thing they ask you is, are you dating anyone? Right? <laughs> Every time my mom goes on a trip or I come back from one, that's always a question. And when they find out that you're not, they think it's either because you're too picky or there's something wrong with you. Or your married friend tells you, don't worry, it'll happen when you least expect it. Or you meet someone who's 50 and they're not, they've never been married and they don't have children and you feel sorry for them. I know I've done that. Matthew Kelly, a popular Catholic author and speaker, while he was still single, talked about how people were constantly trying to cure him of his singleness, as if he had a disease. So, if you're trying to do God's will and you are currently single, then that is his vocation for you at the moment. Not the big V vocation of marriage, religious life, or being a consecrated lay celibate, but the little V vocation what he's calling you to at the present moment. And if it is God's will for you to be single right now, then it is as a single person that you are going to know the greatest joy, happiness, and peace. So how do you live the single life? Here's just a few tips, and that much of what I'm going to say is going to be as applicable to someone who's married or a religious person. The first is to seek the will of God and to embrace it. In the spiritual classic, Abandonment to Divine Providence, Father de Cusade writes, the will of God alone can satisfy us. The will of God alone can satisfy us. That is a powerful statement. In St. Matthew's Gospel we read, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things shall be yours as well. 
God, who is generous love, has a perfect plan for each of you, a plan that he designed specifically for you out of love, one that will bring you the greatest joy, happiness, and peace. And this plan is his will for you. So why is it hard to do the will of God and to trust him? There are several reasons. One is that we think we know what will make us happy. And when what we think will make us happy doesn't come true, we feel disappointed and we feel like God is holding out on us. So we've all had the experience of being heartbroken. And a while back, I was in adoration and I was really sad because I liked this guy and I realized he didn't like me back. And I saw myself as a two or three year old girl and I was wearing this pink dress that I've seen myself in in pictures. And you know how a little kid, when they fall and they scrape their knee, they get up and they cry and they go running to mom or dad. Well, I was walking to God crying and not with a scraped knee, but with a scraped heart. And Jesus took my heart and he kissed it. And then he picked me up and he kissed my face where the tears were. And all of a sudden, I could see the world from his view. And I realized that I didn't need to be sad, that it was okay that this guy didn't like me, and that God had this perfect plan for me, a plan that involved all of eternity. And I realized that as a little girl, I had this tunnel vision. And all I could see, that what I could see was limited. But when I saw his view, I knew that I could trust him and that I didn't need to fear. God is all-knowing, and his plan for you is a part of his eternal plan. And he knows what we want before we ask him, but he also knows what will satisfy, fully satisfy us. Another reason we struggle with living God's will is because it involves suffering. Why suffering exists and its purpose is complex. It exists at least in part because of our sin and as a just punishment for that but suffering also exists because it helps us to be converted. And it is, most importantly, it's necessary for our redemption. Everyone suffers. We can choose to embrace God's will and accept suffering as he did, or we can choose to reject his will and the redemptive value of suffering. So how do you seek the will of God? I don't know the full answer to this. But I would recommend that you ask him what he wants of you, that you pray, that you spend time in silence just listening to him, that you meditate on his words and his life, that you respond to the inspirations of the Holy Spirit, and that you seek a good counsel from a spiritual director. The greater union that you get with God, the more you don't have to ask him, but you'll just know what to do. Secondly, embrace all that happens to you in a given day. So God's will does not just involve the big questions of your life, such as your vocation and your profession. It encompasses every detail of your life, all that happens in a given day except for your sins. If there's a car accident on the way to work and you're late to work because of it, that's God's will. If you have a computer malfunction, if you get a promotion, if someone gives you a compliment, if you sleep through your alarm, or if it's uncomfortably hot outside. All of that is God's will for you. 
and your job is to accept it. And, and it's a mystery. We won't fully know or understand his will for us until we die. All right, number two. Live in the present moment and live each moment for Christ. So all we have is a present moment. There is no guarantee that we'll live beyond this moment, yet we constantly worry about the future. After Jesus tells us to seek first his kingdom, he says, do not be anxious for tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Let the day's own trouble be sufficient for the day. So I could see Jesus up here telling us uh, now, do not worry about who you are to marry, when it will happen or how it will happen, or how many children will ha you will have or if you'll have children, but seek first his kingdom. How much easier life gets when we just focus on the moment and what God is asking of us in the moment. You know, when you're praying, don't worry about what you have to do later in the day. Simply focus on praying. Or when you're at work and you have 10 tasks that you have to get done, just focus on the present task and do it well for God. Or when you're having a conversation with someone, be present in that conversation and resist the temptation to be distracted. In Abandonment to Divine Providence, we read, the present moment is always overflowing with immeasurable riches. Once we can grasp that each moment contains some sign of the will of God, we shall find in it all we can possibly desire. Number three, do everything for love of God, including suffering. True charity is a good act done for love of God. So your friend needs you to help her move. Help her, not because she'll like you more because of it, but for love of God. Your alarm goes off in the morning, and you don't want to get out of bed, but you need to get out of bed, but you need to, then get out of bed, not because you're going to be late for work, but do it for love of God. You hate cleaning your bathroom, but it's a mess. Clean it, not because you'd be embarrassed if anybody saw what it looked like, but for love of God. You don't feel like praying the rosary. Pray it well, not out of obligation or doing, or out of duty, but for love of God. And when you suffer for love of God, that suffering becomes less of a cross. All right, number four. Pray and pray well. So why do we pray? God doesn't need us to pray. He doesn't need anything from us, but we pray because it benefits us. The Catechism states that prayer is a vital necessity. Through prayer, we come to know God, his love for us, and his truths, and we become better able to love him back in return. Prayer helps us to discern his will and to follow it. So most people who are single have time to develop a strong prayer life without the worries and distractions that come with marriage and being a parent. St. Paul tells us, the unmarried woman is anxious about the affairs of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit, but the married woman is anxious about worldly affairs, how to please her husband. Take advantage of this time while you're single Commit to Mass every Sunday, and if possible, try to go during the week. Go to confession regularly, which means at least monthly. Pray and meditate on the mysteries of the rosary. 
Spend time in silence with God, saying nothing but just being with him and adore him in the Blessed Sacrament. And then pray well. So for much of my life, I have prayed more out of habit and a sense of obligation than out of love. And I, I go to Mass daily, I pray in silence daily, and say rosary daily, and have spiritual reading. But a lot of times I do it as a part of a list, and then once I'm done, you know, I've checked off that part of my list. And it's no wonder I have trouble hearing God, and I'm so slow to change. Matthew Kelly tells a story why people get bored with Mass. He says, you go to Mass, and you get lesson number one. And then you go home, and you keep living your life the way you've been living it. And then you go to Mass next Sunday, and you get lesson number one again. And you go home, you don't change, and then you go the following Sunday, and again you're on lesson number one. And he's like, no wonder people get bored. They can't get past the first lesson. <laughs> Prayer should stem from love. And I found that when I try to pray well, getting to Mass early so I can prepare instead of sliding in just on time, and praying the rosary when I'm more alert, and awake instead of right before bed while I'm half asleep, that I enjoy it more, I love God more, and I begin to change for the better. And prayer isn't easy, and I just discovered that the Catechism of the Catholic Church has a whole section entitled, The Battle of Prayer, because it's not easy. All right, number five, discern your vocation. So for mo most of my life, I've just assumed that I was called to marriage because I felt drawn to it, and I didn't ask God what he wanted my vocation to be. When I first met with my spiritual director a few years ago, he asked me to take a year off of dating and to visit three religious communities. And I do not regret one day of that. He wanted me to truly discern if God was calling me to religious life. And I don't feel called to religious life as of now, but I'm still discerning because I'm still single. So go visit a religious community. Go to Explore Day, men. Have lunch with someone who is a consecrated lay celibate. Discern if God is calling you to marriage. Tell God that you're open to whatever vocation he desires for you and that you'd like to be married if it will please him. The fruits. While preparing for this talk, I've also been trying to live it out because I know it's true, and because I wasn't satisfied with how I was living my single life. And I want to share with you some of what I've experienced. And the first is happiness. In general, I'm happier. Then came joy, a deeper love for God, a greater trust in him, peace, and freedom. And all of this lasted for a few weeks. <laughs> And then I got distracted, and I started to focus on what I wanted more than what God wanted, and I became more apt to sin, and I, I started to go backwards. And I met with my spiritual director less than two weeks ago, and I realized that I have some bad habits that I have to change in order to persevere in living the single life well. And so I'm back on track, and I am trying to live this, um, albeit imperfectly. I also want to share that in trying to live this, I felt less envy. So St. Thomas Aquinas defines envy as sorrow at another person's good. You know, have you ever had a friend say, oh, I just got engaged, and you're like, woo, great, I'm happy for you. 
or I'm going to have a baby. And you are happy, but part of you feels like, I really want that too. Um, but you know, there's, there's no need for envy. When you know that God's plan for you, it's perfect. That it'll bring you the greatest joy and love, and that he's given you everything you need to live it out. All right, so now for the stuff that you really came for. A few tips on how to meet Mr. slash Ms. Right. And it's probably not going to be what you expect. So the first is be led by the Holy Spirit. There is this temptation when you're single to think that you need to go to as many young adult events as you can. Because statistically speaking, the more people you eat and the more you put yourself out there, you are bound to meet Mr. Wright. And I've struggled with this and gone to things that I didn't really want to go to because I wanted to meet someone. But I'm also not saying that you can stay, I'm also not saying that you can stay at home and Miss Wright's gonna come knocking on your door. It doesn't work that way either. The truth is, if you follow the promptings of the Holy Spirit, he will guide you to your spouse. He will put you and your future spouse in the right place at the right time so you can meet, and you will not miss it. So if you feel inspired to go to, a, to an event, go to it. If you want to get involved in a certain group, do it. If you feel called to spending a year in Africa doing missionary work, say yes and be led by the Spirit. Some of you have heard the story of Joan Andrews. Joan got married at the age of 43 to Chris Bell, who's 10 years younger than her, and they met in prison. Joan is an avid pro-life activist, and she's been put in jail over 200 times because of her pro-life, nonviolent activism. And Chris brought her communion one time during her longer stays in prison, and that's how they met. They got married, got pregnant shortly thereafter, and actually their first child, their only biologic child, was delivered by Dr. Bernard Nathanson, who was a former abortionist who then converted and became Catholic and pro-life. And actually I was reading that Joan was arrested again this month for protesting the HHS mandate in front of the White House. So again, she met her husband in jail. Follow the promptings of the Holy Spirit and God will make it happen. Number two, be yourself. Often the devil tempts us into thinking, if only we were different, if only we were taller or smarter or funnier or better looking or had a better job, then we'd meet the right person and get married. The devil especially attacks a woman's beauty. He convinces her she's not beautiful, and so she goes in search of beauty, dieting, wearing a lot of makeup, using anti-aging creams, using laser hair removal, and even at times, permanently changing her looks through breast implants or a tummy tuck or nose job. As women, we need to recognize the lie of the devil and that this is how he tempts us. And we need to see our own inherent beauty being made in the image and likeness of God and thank God for it. And realize that the purpose of beauty is to reflect God's beauty and to do his will. 
Now, this is for all of us, not just women, but God has made you exactly the way you need to look and be to live out his perfect plan for you and to attract the spouse he has chosen for you if you are called to marriage. God has made you exactly the way you need to look and be to live out his perfect plan for you and to attract the spouse he has chosen for you if you are called to marriage. So embrace the way he made you. Number three, be, guardian, be guardians of each other's hearts. So when you're single, your friends become really important because they feel part of that desire for communion. And sometimes your closest friend ends up being someone of the opposite sex, and you end up spending a lot of time alone with them, going to mass together, seeing a movie, hiking, and just hanging out. But I would caution against this because almost inevitably, one person ends up liking the other person. So in the secular world, it's usually the guy who likes the girl, and the girl just wants to be friends. And we've all seen that scene from When Harry Met Sally. But in the Catholic circle, often the girl likes the guy, and she's waiting for him to eventually ask her on a date, and then nothing happens, and months go by, and they're still best friends. There's a great article by this guy, Joshua Rogers, entitled, Your Friend Girl Deserves Better. And in it, he explains, your friend girl thinks or hopes something might be going on between the two of you. She believes a great guy like you wouldn't hang out with her, share his deepest feelings, and kind of sort of flirt with her unless there was some chance of a relationship. At the same time, she's confused. Though you're perfectly comfortable being emotionally intimate with her, you physically interact with her like she's your kid sister. Although you never truly reciprocate, she takes what you give. And I don't mean to single out men, because women do it too. But we need to guard each other's hearts and not mislead each other so we can help prepare each other for the spouse God has chosen for us. St. James tells us, let your yes be yes and your no be no. That's it for the tips. So as you get older, you, you start to wonder, will I ever get married? And I think every single young adult needs to ask this question. What if I'm not called to be married? The first time my spiritual director brought that up was about a year and a half ago, and he said, maybe you're not called to marriage. To which I responded, did God tell you that? <laughs> and I, sometimes I'm at peace with the fact that I may never get married and I may never have children, and sometimes, honestly, my heart sinks. So what if you're not called to marriage? Does that mean you're just out of luck? That you're just not going to be as happy as your family and your friends? No. So marriage is an amazing, great good. But there is a greater good. And the love between a husband and wife and between a parent and child is beautiful. But there is a greater love. And you cannot look to your earthly spouse to fulfill all of your desires and needs because they will always fall short. Only God can do that. Even if you're called to marriage, God needs to be your first and your greatest love. We were made for eternity, and earthly marriage only lasts while you're on earth. 
And we were made for the infinite, for God. And God's love is perfect, passionate, unconditional, total, faithful, and fruitful. And if we really knew how much he loved us, we would never feel lacking in anything. One night towards the end of his life, St. Thomas Aquinas, while praying, heard Jesus speak to him from the crucifix on the wall. Jesus said to him, Thomas, you've written well of me. What reward would you have for your labor? Essentially, Thomas, what do you desire most? To which Thomas responded, nothing but you, Lord. And so I end with that. What do you want more than anything else in the whole world? What is the deepest longing of your heart? Hopefully, someday we can be like Thomas, St. Thomas, and say, nothing but you, Lord. So um, questions, and if you feel shy and you don't want to ask a question, I actually have a gift for the first four people who ask a question. Yes. So when you ask a question, I want you to tell me your name first and then tell me your question. Go ahead. My name is Joey. My question is, what about those cases where you have unrequited love, some reason you can't realize it, but it is your calling nonetheless to hold on to that love? So Joey said, and, and I'll tell you, I have not taken any theology classes in my life, but we have a few priests here, so I'm not worried about that. Um, but the question is, what if you felt God was calling you to love someone for the rest of your life, even though that person did not love you in return? If it was really God calling you to love that person, then that would be one of your crosses. Have you guys seen Spider-Man? I loved the first Spider-Man with Tobey Maguire because he's in love with Mary Jane, isn't that her name? And I mean, he's been in love with her for years. And finally she tells him that she likes him and he doesn't, he lets her go because he knows that loving her puts her life at risk. I think that's, I loved, I loved him for that. I was like, that is a noble and honorable thing that if you know that loving another person would cause harm to them or someone else, and you feel God is asking you to then not give in to that, that is noble and honorable. Um, the CD that you're going to get, Vinny, um, but it's about Blessed Pier Giorgio Frassati, who was a guy who lived in Italy, young guy in the 1900s, um, really normal, went to school, got a degree in engineering, had trouble in school, um, hung out with his friends, very athletic, would play pool, um, but lived a remarkable life where he would spend hours praying. He would daily go to visit people who were poor. Um, on Fridays, because it was a day of penance, he would help people who were sick. He got a car for his birthday, and he sold it and gave the money away. Just a really neat guy. And he was in love with this girl, Laura. And so he asked his sister to have her um, come over for tea. And when his mom met her, she was like, there's no way you can date her. And his parents were about to get a divorce, and he just felt that God was calling him to let her go, and it crushed him. But he let her go because 
he felt that was what God was calling him to do. Okay, go ahead. Hi. My name is Leah, and um, uh, my question I think applies to at least some of the people in this room, hopefully. Uh, how do you how do you kind of get back out there trust if you've been in either a bad relationship or multiple bad relationships, and you know you thought something was going to work out one direction, or you thought that was going to lead to marriage, and, and you know for one reason or another it kind of crumbles. So how do you kind of like get yourself back up to okay, well, I can go, I can go back out into the dating world and actually find that right or wrong person because you know this experience has taught me that this doesn't work and that experience has taught me that this doesn't work and okay, now I'm a little insecure about actually going out and meeting someone. I think that's a great question. I think it's best that if you're wounded from past relationships, that you get healed of those wounds before you move on. And you can get healed of those wounds through prayer, through a great Catholic counselor. They don't have to be Catholic, but I think it helps. Um, if you're seeing a spiritual director, through discussing those issues with them. And then there's a lot of amazing books that if you wanted um, titles of books, I could get you by email that have helped people deal with wounds from past relationships so that they can feel healed. And the healthier your relationship is with God, the more likely the healthier your relationship is going to be with the person that you're dating. Go ahead. Hi, my name is Paul. I'm from St. Therese. And I was just wondering, uh, how do you recognize who's Mr. and Mrs. Paul? Because... <laughs> that is an, that's an excellent question. So the question is, how do you tell when someone is Mr. or Ms. Wrong? There are lots of ways. So one question is, Paul, is that person bringing you closer to Christ? And if you notice that you're going away from him instead of closer, that's not the right person. Another way is to ask your friends, and I've told my friends ahead of time that if you ever see me dating someone who you think is not healthy for me, I don't, you won't hurt my feelings, just tell me. So the other, one, the other thing is to ask your friends. The other thing is, you know, what are the qualities that you're looking for in Ms. Wright, Paul? You gotta think about those, right? What's important to you? And what are the non-negotiables? And does that person that you're dating, do they meet those non-negotiables? Do they need to be Catholic? Do they need to be, you know, someone who's open to life and children? There, there are other things that I would say those are probably the most important. All right, more questions. Christine? Um, so what about when you meet someone who's not Catholic, Christian, or maybe just born and raised but not really practicing, and then people tell you, give them a chance, because you never know. Like, what if you inspire them, or they're called to learn the faith, or I don't know. What do you do in that case? I mean, do you friend them? So the question is, what if uh, your friend, what if you're introduced to somebody who is not Catholic, do you give them a chance? If, if you feel like God wants you to give them a chance, absolutely. But you have to go into that relationship knowing that they're not Catholic and you're not meant to do missionary dating, you're not meant to convert them. So you have to be prepared for the fact that they may never become Catholic. And if you feel God is calling you to date that person, because there are a lot of amazing people, there are people that are way better than I am who are not Catholic, then go for it. But with a realistic 
um, expectation that they may never become Catholic, that if it is important to you that you can pray with them and go to Mass with them and those things, and they're not willing to do it, that you're not going to have that as part of your marriage. Or if it is important for you to have a man as the spiritual head who's going to lead the family in faith, that you may not have that if they're not someone who is of strong faith. They may be um, Protestant and of great faith and could still be a great spiritual leader for the family. All right, any more questions? And I'm not an expert at dating. So I've never taken a theology class, nor am I an expert at dating. But I have been single for a long time, as my brother has said. Um, and, and I am happy. What else? So I'm Zach, uh, St. Michael's in Poway. Um, so my question is, I've always been told that God always tells us our vocations in small, subtle ways. How do we know that that's the vocation for us, if not for like someone else? I mean, like, how do we know that it's ours? So you're saying that when God is subtle, how do you know what the right answer is? That's a good question. Um, when you say yes to it, you often have a sense of peace. My brother Stephen said that he felt called to becoming a priest for a long time, but he kind of just pushed it away. And he went to, um, he was going for his graduate degree at Duke, and finally he just said, you know what, I'm going to give this a chance. And he entered the seminary, and he felt a great sense of peace. So part of it, you know, if there's these subtle clues as to what God is leading you to, you may want to go and give it a try and see if you feel peace or don't feel peace. Um, and then you just, you have to pray a lot. And God will make it clear to you. What do you think, Father Anthony? Does God make it clear to you? I gave a good answer. All right. <laughs> you know what, though? But he's not always subtle. I remember my um, first year of medical school, I was... I just felt like I really couldn't pray the way I had been praying before, and I was like questioning, is this really what God wants me to do? And, and I, I asked him, I was like, God, is this really what you want me to do? Do you want me to become a doctor? And I opened up this small book booklet um, from Matthew Kelly entitled Words from God, and literally when I opened it up, it read, do not leave your institution. I... <laughs> Do not leave, maybe it was even do not leave your university. I need my people in the world, not of the world, but I need my people in the world. Because I'm a family doctor and it's really hard and a lot of times, and I feel it's a vocation, but a lot of times I ask God, is this really what you want me to do? I need to stop asking him that. But, um, and, and over and over again, he makes it clear to me through what will happen in the week. So ask him and, and he may be clearer than you think. All right, next question. Ashley. Um, I just wanted to ask you which, which religious communities did you visit and which ones do you recommend for people who are, especially women, um, discerning, you know, I've had different friends just mm -hmm. go to the top of the alphabet list and work their way down. But what do you recommend? So I went to places that my spiritual director recommended. But the one that I chose on my own, so I went to visit the Carmelite Sisters of Alhambra because they're a faithful community. Um, I went to visit the Sisters of Life in New York 
because the Sisters of Life do a lot of what I already do. They counsel women who are in crisis pregnancy and try to meet their needs. They have a house for them. And it just, it was an order that I felt drawn to going to. And I visited the Trinitarians who do perpetual adoration and have a mission for praying for priests. And I have eventually, hopefully, two priests in the family. So those are are the ones that I visited, but um, you need a spiritual director. And you need someone who can talk to you about the different types of religious orders and what they offer. And then you need to investigate and see where God, you feel God is leading you. All right. Go ahead. Rita. Do you think it's important? I'm Rita. Um, do you think it's important? <laughs> do you think it's important to um, be on the same page as the person you're dating, like as far as well, uh, naturally the faith, but like to be on the same page as intellectually and other aspects as well? Um, My sister Stephanie, when she met her husband Armando, said that they were equally yoked. And I think that you can define that in different ways. It matters what's important to you. So is an intellectually stimulating conversation something that you greatly value? And so you want someone who intellectually is your match? Well, then, yeah, it's important. Um, So it just depends on what what you value, and then you should be equally yoked, but how that's defined will, will depend on your relationship and on the two people. You like that vague answer? All right. Okay, so here are your small group questions. The first is, which recommendation did you find most helpful, and how will it impact the way you are currently living the single life? Because I'm a firm believer that you have to um, make changes slowly, but that you do need to make changes. Um, And the second is, if you were giving this talk, what other tips would you give about how to live the single life or about how to meet Mr. or Ms. Wright? Ten minutes, groups of four.